All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Garrett. I serve as the Director of Local Missions here at NOVA. It's good to be with you all today. So we are in the middle of a sermon series called Ecclesiology. And that's a big theology word, uh, but all it means is study of the church. So in essence, we are asking in this uh, sermon series, what is the church and what's it like? And to help answer this question, we are looking at a few different word pictures or metaphors used to describe the church throughout the New Testament. Three weeks ago, we looked at the Greek word Ecclesia. Two weeks ago, we explored the idea of the church being the family of God. And last week, we looked at what it means that the church is the bride of Christ. And today, we are going to explore the idea of the church being the flock of God. Flock, of course, referring to a flock of sheep and God being the shepherd. And you know, I love that we are doing a sermon series looking at these word pictures and metaphor, there's just, there's just something more vibrant and robust about looking at the church through the lens of a metaphor. I think it's a big reason why Jesus chose to teach in parables. Jesus could have simply told the disciples, you know, God loves you very much. Nothing wrong with that. But when he tells the parable of the prodigal son, just kind of touches your innermost being in a different way. Likewise, Jesus could have simply said, love your enemies. But he chose to say this and then expound on it with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parables, metaphors, word pictures, just have a different way of helping us understand a teaching more than simple didactic monologues. Like I could say, you guys remember when it rained a couple weeks ago? Man, it rained really hard, didn't it? Or I could say, man, it felt like the second coming of the flood. It looked like I even saw some animals starting to pair up a little bit. You know, kind of just paints a better picture in your head about how heavy and consistent the rain was a few weeks ago. Word pictures are just so good at helping us understand something. And for something as rich and multifaceted and complex as the church, sometimes a, a few different word pictures are necessary as we explore uh, all of them through the sermon series. And like I already said, the church as the flock of God is what we are going to be looking at today. And this word picture pops up multiple times throughout the New Testament. Luke 12, 32 says... Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 1 Peter 5, 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a few more places in Scripture where the church is referred to as God's flock, and likewise how God is therefore the ultimate shepherd. 
Uh, as you can see in the Acts and First Peter passage we just read, the church leaders are exhorted to be shepherds of the church as well. But in the grand view of the church as the flock of God, he is the great shepherd. And this word picture of the church being God's flock, it teaches us about some of the relational dynamics between God and the church. How God relates to the church and likewise how the church is supposed to relate to God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look uh, specifically at three different aspects of this relational dynamic as it relates to this word picture. There's certainly more than three, but I think these three are very important. Sound good? I mean, either way, we're, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. The shepherd and his flock. So our first point today is that the shepherd guides the flock. The shepherd guides the flock. So if you guys are not aware, sheep are dumb. I heard somebody answer that before I could. They're actually uh, smarter than they often get credit for. But overall, if they're left to fend for themselves in the wild, it's not going to end well. Maybe helpless is a better word. I'm not sure. Uh, so when I was in like late high school, maybe early college, um, I started getting some house-sitting gigs here and there, you know, like you do at that age. A lot of times, very normal, you know, get the mail, feed the cat, that type of thing. Uh, but my family growing up, we lived in more of a rural area. Um, and so sometimes there were other things involved. There were other animals to take care of, farm or ranch animals, animals like cows and horses and chickens and goats and pigs and sheep. On one occasion, uh, I house sat for a couple that had a few emus. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, smaller ostrich. And when I say smaller, still six to seven feet tall. So that was interesting. Sometimes there were llamas. I can say that I've been spat on by a llama. Um, that's cool, I guess. Um, so every once in a while, uh, house sitting involved uh, feeding and taking care of these types of animals as well. And I remember one time when I was house sitting for a family that had cows, they had um, goats, pigs, llamas, and sheep. And the cows were just off in a meadow somewhere. I didn't really have to deal with them. But when it came time to feeding the other animals, I would actually have to get in the pen with them and box out uh, the goats, pigs, and llamas to let the sheep eat. And this was because the sheep were either too weak or frail or feeble or shy, I'm not entirely sure which, uh, to push themselves to the front uh, of the feeding trough to get food. They relied on me to clear a path for them or they wouldn't have eaten. Likewise, a flock of sheep relies on their shepherd for everything. The shepherd guides the sheep to water. The shepherd guides the sheep towards food. The shepherd guides the sheep away from danger. The shepherd guides the sheep to a safe place to sleep at night. Sheep are dumb and helpless, and they rely on their shepherd fully. And we are told multiple times throughout Scripture that the church is like a flock of sheep, 
And I don't think this is necessarily God telling us that we're dumb. Not necessarily. Maybe just part of it is to put things in perspective. Uh, Let me put it this way. God created everything. He's over everything. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He exists outside of time. Our minds cannot begin to grasp the magnitude and awesomeness of God. Um, I've heard it described this way. Trying to understand the magnitude of God is like a dog trying to understand the internet. Therefore, compared to God, we're a whole lot more like sheep than I think some of us like to admit. And God, as our shepherd, establishes and guides a way for us to live. And he promises and shows us time and time again that following him and his ways It leads to life and flourishing. Psalm 23 might be the uh, most famous psalm. And it talks about just how good it is to follow God, our shepherd. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows and surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's ways are good. God's ways lead to life. God is over everything, and we cannot fathom how great and awesome God is. But humans love to go their own way. Far too often, humans leave the guidance of their shepherd. So often, humans like to think that we know better than God. It sounds really silly when you put it that way. But it's true, ain't it? It started with Adam and Eve in the garden, thinking they knew better than what God had commanded them. And the rest of the Old Testament, it's chock full of stories of people who think they know better than God. Seriously, you can read the entirety of the Old Testament, or at least the vast majority of it, through the lens of, will these people follow God or are they going to follow their own ways? Spoiler, it never goes well when people stray from God's guidance. Doesn't it seem like... Our world today thinks that hatred, punishment, and retribution are the best ways forward. Hate your enemies, right? Look, I know it's incredibly cliche to say at this point, but our culture is deeply, deeply divided. Republican versus Democrat, vaxxer versus non-vaxxer, masker versus non-masker, Christian versus non-Christian, conservative Christian versus liberal Christian. 
Protestants versus Catholics versus Orthodox. Kneelers versus Standers, big government versus small government, Fox News versus CNN, Boomers versus Millennials, Millennials versus Gen Z, Gen Z versus Boomers and Millennials. Very well done, Gen X, for slipping under the radar somehow. <laughs> LGBTQ affirming versus LGBTQ non-affirming, climate change believers versus climate change deniers, Coke versus Pepsi. Last one was a joke, <laughs> but Coke is correct. I could probably go on for like an hour with that list, couldn't I? And what I see time and time again from our culture is line after line after line is drawn in the sand. And the overarching feeling from our culture is if you disagree with me, that means you are either evil or stupid. We love to hate. What a weird sentence that is. We love to hate. And this leads to constant arguing and people digging in their heels more and more in relationships, fracture and disintegrate altogether. Our culture thinks that the best way to deal with those who disagree with you is to yell at them, to call them names, and in some cases, cancellation and cutting them out of their li your lives entirely. Hate your enemies. Where has this gotten us? In this way, our culture has strayed from the guidance of our shepherd. Jesus teaches us to love your enemies, to forgive those who wrong you, no matter how egregious. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our culture is deeply divided and deeply hateful in many ways, and the way out of it is not to dig our heels into our little ideological camps further and continue to hate and stigmatize the other side. It's good to have convictions for sure, especially as followers of Jesus, and even more especially as we come alongside the broken and marginalized. But love, unconditional love for all people, must be the defining mark of a Christian what God showed to us while we were sinners. And therefore, it must be what we showed others, whether we agree with them or not. This is but one example of the necessity of following our shepherd. A sheep would be very foolish to stray away from their shepherd. They would be dead in less than a week. And likewise, we would be foolish to stray away from God and his ways. And so church, one of the defining marks for us is we need to make sure we follow our shepherd. Not just us as Nova, but us in our individual lives as well. The shepherd guides the flock. And this leads us to our second point for today. The shepherd cares for the flock. The shepherd cares for the flock. John 10, 14 through 15 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, a shepherd was uh, responsible for caring for the well-being of the sheep. So much so that they would, uh, were to protect the flock from danger. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, we are told that before David was king of Israel, he was a shepherd. And part of his job as a shepherd was to fight off both lions and bears from attacking and devouring his flock. And in the same way, God sees the destruction that we bring on ourselves by straying away from him and his guidance. And he sees us lost in a wilderness of our own creation. And he doesn't sit idly by, but he loves us and cares for us. And he saves us from destruction by laying down his life for us, us lowly sheep. Look, I feel like I've kind of been a broken record the past few times I've preached and the times I've taught in Nova Kids. I've been repeating this simple teaching over and over again. But even though it's simple, it's just so, so important. God loves you very, very much. There's nothing you can do that's ever going to make God stop loving you or forgive you. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, you may have lived a life filled in squalor and debauchery, but God will always welcome you home with open arms. All he asks is that you be with him. You choose to be with him. He's not going to force you to be with him. But it's truly the best thing you could ever do. It's freedom. It's peace. It's hope. It's love. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Thank you for suffering through that. It's the closest I'll ever come to leading worship. You know, from my experience, sometimes it's the simple lessons that we teach and sing to our kids. It's the very things that we need to keep reminding ourselves of. The shepherd guides the flock and the shepherd cares for the flock. And our final point for today is that the flock knows the shepherd's voice. The flock knows the shepherd's voice. You see, in ancient times, there were times when a shepherd would lead their flock to a well for water, but there would already be another flock at that well. And instead of waiting for this other flock uh, to finish, which could take hours, by the way, the shepherds would let their flocks drink from the well together to intermingle. And this was because the sheep knew their shepherds' voices. So when one of the shepherds would call their flock, only their flock would follow them. A flock of sheep would never follow a stranger. This is why in John 10, 3 through 5, we read, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The flock knows the shepherd's voice. You know, there are many capital V voices in our world today. Everyone and everything seems to want to shape us or form us in some way. It's estimated that about $240 billion was spent just on advertising in 2020. And many studies show that the average person is advertised to about 200 times a day in various ways. There are many voices out there vying for you. And sometimes these voices are loud and blaring, and sometimes they're as quiet as a whisper. But we hear them over and over again, and they can begin to shape us, whether consciously or unconsciously. So we need to make sure we listen to and follow the shepherd's voice. There's a pretty big voice in our culture that says... The only way to have a good life is to work and work and work and work some more and work. And even on your off days, you work. It's good for you. It's the only way to get ahead in life. That's not God's voice. Yes, yes, work is good and hard work is very good. But God gave us a Sabbath for a reason. And taking a Sabbath, a day off from work each week, it's important for a variety of reasons. We recognize our own limitations. And we honor God by observing the way that he ordered the world. This may seem strange, but observing a Sabbath day each week is an act of worship to God in this way. For some of you, your employer may be putting pressure on you to not take time off or to be available at all times every day. And Man, what do you do in those situations, huh? Likewise, there's some of us who struggle with our self-worth coming from if we are a moral or quote-unquote good person. We feel good about ourselves if we're being moral, if we're doing good in the world, but if we slip up or make a mistake as we all do, can be devastating. Maybe for some of you, you have this conscious or unconscious feeling that God's love is predicated on what you do or do not do. And whatever that voice is that is telling you these things or make you feel this way, it's not God's voice. Thank goodness. Your self-worth and God's love is not predicated on your own merits or what you do or do not do. It is based simply on the fact that God loves you no matter what. Once again, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's voice. There's lots of voices out there. And so we as a church need to make sure we are hearing and listening to 
God's voice. But how do we do that? How do we listen to and know what God's voice even is? Well, first and foremost, God gave us this book, his word. And knowing his word, not just memorizing a few scriptures here and there, but knowing the the biblical narrative, its key themes and its narrative, it's the most important way for us to hear and listen to God's voice. Prayer, actually communing with God is another incredibly crucial way that we can hear God's voice. You probably won't hear an audible voice. I personally never have, but I do know some people who have and do. But developing this intimacy with God and seeking him in all things is another huge way for us to hear and listen to his voice. Communing with your small group as well. God can use the voices and the love of other people who are close to you to share something he has for you. And that's a beautiful thing. Experiencing the love and voice of God through another person. There are many ways to hear and listen to God's voice. But I do want to reiterate that scripture is the primary way. There are many voices out there. But we need to make sure as the church that we hear and listen to God's voice. The shepherd guides the flock. The shepherd cares for the flock. And the flock knows the shepherd's voice. So at this time, I actually would like to invite somebody from our congregation up, Bob Jampoli, uh, because I want to get his perspective and have him share with you um, his experience of hearing and listening to God's voice. Hi, Bob. Hi, Garrett. It's good to see you today. So I obviously know you uh, very well, but some people out here may not. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm married to my wife, Alicia, for 30 years, a wonderful, industrious wife. (laughs) (laughs) And we have one adult son, Jeremy, who you may have seen playing keyboards from time to time as a young man with a beard. We've lived in Torrance for a long time, over 30 years now. And I work at Ambassador High School. I became a Christian when I was in my teen years, Mm -hmm. like 17 or so. Mm -hmm. And I've been coming to Nova since its inception. Mm -hmm. And so some of your kids may know me as Mr. G. I teach uh, Nova kids. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So yeah, like I was saying, we were just, I was just talking about... uh, Hearing and listening to God's voice. So I'm curious, how do you generally hear God's voice for some people? It's reading scripture, prayer. What about you? Hmm? Yeah, I was really happy when you asked me to come talk with you on this because it's a pretty significant question for me in my life. And I think for all of us as Christians, if we're trying to follow Jesus, I want to follow him by hearing him guide me and know what path he wants for me. Uh, so it's a, it's a big deal, and I've had experiences through my life where I've heard him clearly moving me. Mm. Like you, I've never heard God's voice audibly. I never felt his staff around my neck kind of pulling me in a certain direction physically. Uh, I never put a fleece out like Gideon and hoped it was dry or wet in the morning to discern his, his will for me. Um, so 
in addition to what you were talking about, kind of scripture and meditating on scripture, praying and getting wise counsel, uh, I have also found that a big part for me is actually taking action when I have a question or think I hear his voice and then sort of listening to see if he's giving me a response. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, Alicia and I thought about moving out of the LA area when we were about to start a family. <clears throat> we looked pretty seriously at going to Denver and I had a job lined up and um, we liked that area a lot. So we actually pursued it. Uh, we went out there, we house shopped with okay. a real estate agent and it wasn't quite the perfect job for me. So, but I applied for another job in the Denver area and I was perfect for this job. I mean, I could not have been a better fit. And I fully expected to get the job. I was ready to move and they never offered me the job mm. because of some hiring constraint that they had at the time. And Alicia and I just kind of sensed clearly that God was speaking to us by closing doors mm -hmm. as we tried mm -hmm. to step forward. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so uh, even though it wasn't audible, it was pretty obvious. I think he was telling us at the time, stay put. Yeah. So it's more uh, action oriented and just being attuned and aware to how God is working in the situation and context around you. Is that right? Yeah. And, and the action still coupled with what you were talking about, talking to wise people and praying and, and really trying to resonate with what I read in scripture, with what I see him doing in my life. Of course. And so you mentioned uh, a job situation early on in your marriage. Um, so you had been in the aerospace engineering fields for 30 plus years yeah. with Northrop Grumman, a few other companies. But uh, a couple years ago, you made a very significant <laughs> career change. Why, I, I, why don't you share with everybody uh, what that entailed and how you listened to God's voice during that time? Sure. Yeah, I like telling this story. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, so I became a high school teacher and... Many, many people were extremely shocked to see me leave a director of engineering position and go and work with kids. Mm -hmm. And for me and for my wife, Alicia, it wasn't as shocking as maybe it looked, mm. uh, but it was still a significant decision to make. So not as shocking, I'll say Alicia tells people that the day I met her, I told her I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> I don't remember that, but it doesn't surprise me uh, because I tutored all my friends in college. I was a graduate teaching assistant. Uh, as soon as I started working professionally, I started taking night courses at the community college to get my teaching credential, mm -hmm. even though I didn't end up using it. Um, I, in my work, I was a mentor a lot. I started a lot of classes. I did training. Uh, I promoted with some vice presidents, bringing middle school and high school teachers in for summer, summer internships to the aerospace industry. Uh, I was part of starting a class at California Academy of Math and Science mm -hmm. for engineering technologies. So all through my career, teaching was a big part of it. And then I was about to turn 50 and I'd always had this dream of teaching high school. And I kind of had that feeling of, okay, if I don't do it now, mm. if I wait till I'm 60 to retire, it just doesn't work with teaching high school. So God was kind of pulling me. So I started praying about it and then started talking to people about it. 
And that was the miracle, miraculous part. The doors just started opening like mm. crazy. Mm. And I met my uh, current principal, Dr. Mike Barker, who started Ambassador Christian School. And he offered me a, a job just being a, um, an assistant the first year and then a part-time teacher. And Northrop was able to let me work part-time. And so it was a great way for me to sense, is this truly God speaking to me? Or is it just this kind of a whim? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very clear. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And then right when I was eligible to retire for, from Northrop, uh, a full-time position opened up at Ambassador. And so I felt like that was God very clearly saying, okay, now go do this. And so it's a ministry to me. And so it's very rewarding. Absolutely. So it sounds like a big aspect of listening to God's voice uh, well, throughout your entire life is being attuned uh, to the ways that he is either consciously or unconsciously shaping you and the passions that he's giving you. And then later in life, as the opportunity arose, you were able to step forward. Yeah. In our, uh, in our men's small group this week, it's, it's always feels coincidental, but I'm convinced now it's God's intervention. We looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it talked about presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. So mm. putting your whole life for mm, the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then it talked about renewing your mind, which I think means getting to scripture to listen to him. And that by doing that and testing activity, he will reveal his path to you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I really have that strong sense that over the years, Alicia and I have felt like when we have a decision to make, you pray about it, but then you start to move and let God speak to you clearly. Sure. And then with that, is, do you have uh a piece of uh, encouragement for the Nova people as it pertains uh, specifically towards listening and hearing God's voice. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that I'm qualified to give advice or anything, but I can encourage by my own experience. Uh, first and foremost, I'd say this is primarily maybe to uh, the men, those of you who are married, if you're like me, you tend to be kind of impulsive on decisions. So <laughs> I would encourage everyone to uh, work closely with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Alicia has provided great guidance and slowed me down and seen some things that I haven't seen when we make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think God gave us that marriage relationship to be a true partnership. Mm -hmm. So at times where I wanted to move on my own, maybe that wasn't really a wise idea. And I've learned if we're not moving together, it's probably God saying, nope, that's probably not mm -hmm. the right path to go down. Mm -hmm. So kind of that and staying active, but listening to him is what I would encourage people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing your experience. Uh, one <laughs> last thing. Uh, would you mind closing the sermon portion of our service out with a word of prayer? Sure. Thank I'd you. I'd be happy to. <clears throat> good, good Father, uh, we just come to you in this time of worship and bring you the praise and honor that only you deserve. Thank you for being our shepherd and for calling us, speaking to us, uh, guiding us. And we just give you thanks and, and we bring worship to you for your work in our lives. I just lift up anyone uh, who might be facing a decision or seeking your will, Lord, whether it's in a uh, relative to a friendship or a job position or moving or a crisis or deciding what to do with a, a parent or a child. Just God, we just uh, present ourselves to you and we just give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice as you ask us to. And we ask you to, as our shepherd, speak clearly so we hear your voice 
and just give us guidance, Lord. Let us know when it's you and when it's not you speaking to us. And we just give you thanks and praise for all the blessings you have provided to us in our lives and for all the things that you're going to continue to do. And pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome.